Hello, hello, and welcome to a new year here on Art Pop Talk. I'm Bianca. And I'm Gianna. Today's episode is all about Nepo babies. Bianca and I discuss whether nepotism is really a new, startling discovery, or if this is old news. The Nepo Baby conversation has taken the internet by storm, and today we will add to that internet garbage and dive in to the Nepo Babies of art history. Let's art pop talk. What up, what up, what up? Oh my gosh. Hi. Hi. Back on my screen. The (laughs) holiday is over. Right where I belong. (laughs) Right where where I like you. (laughs) But I got like two weeks with you. I mean, yeah, I was in Oklahoma for three weeks. So it feels like I was there for a really long time. Yeah, you were. But I only got to see you for two of those weeks. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, I got I got a big recap from you over the break, which is very nice. But the art pop tarts haven't heard from you in so long. Oh my gosh, so long. I know you guys have just been <laughs> dying to hear if I have, you know, surpassed my supposed fear of stalactite and stalagmite. It's a really big fear. I hope you overcame um, it. Uh, well, I tried to serve some cave, you know, content, um, but we went to a lot of caves and it's all good. And Malaysia was really great. This was a really big, mostly family trip. So I tried to serve the art Pop-Tarts as much content as I could when actually going about and doing things. Um, Theban took me to some Hindu temples. That's where we serve that cave content. And I was able to um, see their national mosque and then also go to uh, their Museum of Islamic Art, which is right next to the national mosque as well. So did some sightseeing, was able to share that for you all a little bit. But all in all, it was a wonderful trip. I went for Uh, my future brother and sister-in-law's wedding, which was gorgeous. So congratulations to that. Uh, I'm sorry, Gianna. I thought you got married on the... (laughs) I thought that was was you who got married. (laughs) Do we want to even go into that, Bianca? I mean, how do you... Why don't don't you explain this inside joke? I'm just teasing Gianna because when Gianna posted photos there were a plethora of responses being like congratulations or i didn't know you guys are getting married in malaysia and gianna's like no no (laughs) false so i basically just catfished the internet i guess and everybody thought i had gone to get married um but i am here a month later setting the record straight and, and the point is that you're still going to get lots of wedding content in this upcoming season because Gianna did get married and we, in fact, still have much to do. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> it's not over yet. You have to put up with uh, listening to us talk about it for nine more months. Yeah. So I'm actually, I should really just be apologizing, actually, that I didn't get married. So, but like I've said, this platform is kind of a dumping ground for my thoughts. And right now it's kind of all a little bit annoying engagement and wedding content so i mean i won't be annoyed but hopefully the art pop tarts uh... like and subscribe or unfollow you know i I totally get it (laughs) either is fine either is fine the choice is yours well 
not too much to report. Like we said, we've been enjoying the holidays very much. It was a very nice break to get to relax and reset and rethink about APT for 2023. So Gianna, if you are ready, would you like to present us with a little bit of Bianca, I have been dying to do another art news segment. So bear with me here because my art news story is about concrete. Riveting stuff, I know. A recent CNN-style article revealed that a study team, including researchers from the United States, Italy, and Switzerland, analyzed 2,000-year-old concrete samples that were taken from a city wall at the archaeological site of Previrum in central Italy. The goal, to find out how Roman buildings had survived so long and to take a deeper look at the material. The sample taken is similar in composition to other concrete found throughout the Roman Empire, and they found that there were white chunks in the concrete, and that's referred to as lime class. I had no idea what this was, so I looked it up for you all, and it's basically just tiny particles that are in the mixture. So if you think of like a you know, a dry mixture of concrete, and then you have this other, you know, composite in it, which is, you know, lime and other stuff and other rock. This gave the concrete the ability to heal cracks that formed over time. The white chunks previously had been overlooked as evidence of sloppy mixing or poor quality raw material. Quote, for me, it was really difficult to believe that ancient Roman engineers would not do a good job because they really made careful effort when choosing and processing materials, said study author Admir Mazik, an associate professor of civil environmental engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He goes on to say, scholars wrote down precise recipes and imposed them on construction sites across the Roman Empire. So they did a little test between the ancient concrete and modern concrete, and the Roman concrete came out on top. Roman texts had suggested the use of slaked lime, which is when lime is first combined with water before being mixed in the the binding agent, and that's why scholars had assumed that this was how Roman concrete was made, Mazik said. With further study, researchers concluded that lime class arose because of the use of quicklime, which is calcium oxide, and that lime class formed at extreme temperatures expected from the use of quicklime and particularly hot mixing, which was key to the concrete's durable nature. The benefits of hot mixing are twofold, Mazik said. First, when the overall concrete is heated in high temperatures, it allows chemistries that are not possible if you only use slaked lime, producing high temperature associated compounds that would not otherwise form. Second, the increased temperature significantly reduces curing and settling time since all the reactions are accelerated, allowing for a much faster construction. So looking at the self-healing aspects, their findings suggested that the lime class can dissolve into cracks and actually recrystallize after being exposed to water, thus healing cracks created by weathering before they spread to other places in like a concrete wall, for example. The researcher said this self-healing potential could pave the way to produce more long-lasting and thus more sustainable modern concrete. 
Such a move would reduce concrete's carbon footprint, which accounts for up to 8% of global greenhouse gas emissions, according to this study. You can read more of this article. We will link it for you um, if you want to learn more about, you know, the mixtures and study of this. But I just kind of thought this was a fun article to share. I just kind of sometimes when these like new discoveries happen, I think it's sometimes it's kind of funny because you think like, I've never thought about this before, but also like we didn't already know that. It's just interesting. If there was so much information about these like recipes of concrete this whole time, you were just like, ah, the lime was a mistake. (laughs) Right. No, it's one of those stories that shows you we're always going to be learning and discovering new things and that art history is present and moving with us and moves throughout culture and will change as we continue to advance technology even more it's just a continuous process it never stops I mean honestly totally and I was also just kind of going back into my like you know intro to art history notes or you know I I don't know and I was thinking about like oh like what was the Roman emperor who actually like implemented concrete the most and that was Nero and so then Mm -hmm. I went down this little like rabbit hole of Kind of burned everything. (laughs) Right. So, and then it just got me looking at other things, which was, you know, fun for me. So I, I enjoyed it. I also think this is a cool story that I would love to have learned about in art history as well. Like if I was a chemistry major and I was forced to take an art history 101 course, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we should be integrating into your classics class. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's kind of like when, you know, what's so interesting that you say that and what this reminds me of is the process of doing like a lost wax cast when you create like a bronze sculpture is the exact same process we use today as what was used then. And so because the process of like a lost wax cast is so complex, typically in art history, that might be a uh, a method or like a you know a technical process that you're actually shown like a YouTube video about but it's kind of interesting to think about like other processes that are out there that we could still be using even though like modern concrete is made differently it sounds like one we should be taking a page out of this book and including other elements that we're not but secondly this seems like an interesting process just like how you might be exposed to like the lost wax cast YouTube video. In terms of embracing art history at all disciplines, I think this is a really good kind of entry point into that where the lost wax cast system, although super fascinating, isn't the most applicable to everyone. And like everyone knows something about concrete. I, I just, it's just, this is what, this is what we're here to talk about, you know, <laughs> we're here this- to talk about concrete. Concrete is the epitome of art pop talk. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, Gianna, I uh, I just want to jump right in. Do you want to yeah. introduce the topic for us? Absolutely. So today's art pop talk. We are talking about Nepo Babies. The conversation on Nepo Babies started on the dark web, aka TikTok, and unleashed itself from there to a point where now news outlets are writing opinion pieces about this popular topic. 
So today we are starting to look at the celebrity-centric conversation of Nepo babies, which seems to be the dominating point of view of this topic. And we'll recap the New York Times article that helped kind of kickstart off this conversation to a point that has taken the internet and I think our minds by storm. Hoping to add to what we think has been a limited perspective in a world full of nepotism, not limited to today's pop stars, Bianca will later talk us through some of the Nepo babies of art history. I'm just really excited for this topic because Gianna and I already had a a steamy conversation about it over the break. And like everything, there's a lot of different disciplines and perspectives for people to come at this, but I'm curious why we're honing in on one in particular. I could not agree more. To provide some context, I think is going to be extremely helpful just to read the New York Times articles for the Art Pop-Tarts about nepotism babies. It's a pretty brief article, and it will give us much to discuss and share in a hot minute. Miriam Daraji couldn't help but feel a twinge of betrayal <laughs> when she discovered... Starting off real hot. Betrayal. <laughs> utter betrayal when she discovered that one of her favorite actresses of euphoria was not the self-made up-and-comer she thought her to be real shame real shame for miriam quote she seemed like a regular girl said miriam who works in technical support in montreal except for one thing her parents leslie mann and judd apatow are hollywood stalwarts except Also, she's not a regular girl. She's on fucking euphoria. (laughs) In other words, Maude Apatow is a nepotism baby. I mean, the nerve. The nerve of Maude Apatow. Sounds like a you problem, Miriam. But we will get into this. For centuries, children born into rich, famous, and otherwise powerful families have had a leg up in life, inheriting monarchies, business empires, wealth, and star power. In some cases, they surpassed their parents' status. This is what most parents wish for their children. It's also often how power works, especially in Hollywood. Now, a new generation is finding out that their favorite celebrities, talented as they may be, have benefited from a system that is not strategically meritocratic. Call me Ross Geller because apparently, apparently, this is a startling discovery. Truly startling. Truly startling. Congratulations, Gen Z. (laughs) The phrase nepotism baby, or the diminutive nepo baby, has pervaded social media in earnest expressions of surprise. I just found out. Envy. Please, God, why couldn't I have been a nepotism baby? And even admiration. Some favorites include Miss Apatow, Zoe Kravitz, and Dakota Johnson. Others are already talking about the next generation of nepotism babies, including the unborn child of Rihanna and Aesop Rocky. Whew. Thank you for pointing out that intergenerational wealth is a thing. I had no idea. What also, I just want to chime in because I want to talk about this later, but 
It says unborn child. When was this article written? I guess right before she had her. That just seems like Rihanna oh, had yeah. her baby a, like a while ago. Oh my god. Yeah, you're totally right. I, I just thought that was weird. Mm. Uh, amongst other things in this article, as we'll get into, I also honed in on the fact that it said unborn child. Right. So like, no, she definitely had her baby, right? Yeah. We can look into that. But that, t- so you all know, it wasn't Gianna saying unborn. It was the author of this article for the New York Times. Quote, in some cases, it speaks to generational differences in celebrity familiarity, said Alice Lepper, an associate professor of media and communication studies at Ursinus College and co-editor of the journal Celebrity Studies. She added that some of the young stars' parents are in the industry, but aren't necessarily A-list actors whose names and faces are widely known. Quote, I think my envy for children of nepotism comes from the freedom they often have, said Miss Rigiri, who lives in Massachusetts. They are free to follow their creative pursuits in a way that most people aren't. The spread of the phrase also communicates a certain disillusionment with Hollywood and a rejection of the idea that anyone can make it in a creative industry. Quote, it's a rabbit hole within itself to find how deep nepotism is within Hollywood, said Bree Rodriguez, an emergency room technician in Arizona. Quote, it's dynasties of famous families that lasted generations. She was frustrated when she found out that Margaret Qualley, a star of the Netflix series Made, is the daughter of Andy McDowell. Isn't her mom in the mo- in the show with her? Like, I think Andy McDowell's in Made as well. Like, that's the point. I'll stop interrupting. I, going. again, Miss Rodriguez, this sounds like a you problem just because you found out about it afterwards doesn't also mean that anyone was like hiding this information that Margaret Qualley had a famous parent. Quote, I don't necessarily hate every Nepo baby, Miss Rodriguez said, but she feels like there's no fresh faces anymore. Definitely want to remember that because I feel as though that is something that's actually been going on for a while. In fact, it's just something that you have been made aware of. Quote, famous people are connected to another person who's connected to another person, and it's just not authentic anymore. Jess Elgin, a 27-year-old actress and comedian in New York City, doesn't mind nepotism babies and would even venture to call herself a fan. She loves the work of Miss Apatow and the actor and the singer Ben Platt, whose father, Mark Platt, is a Hollywood producer. The one caveat for Miss Elgin, though, is that she asked nepotism babies to own up to it. Quote, just say, yes, I am a child of a celebrity, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity that has obviously afforded me. Then we're good, she says. Quote, I think it's when there's a denial of that situational difference that is what irks me, just the facade of grinding. At the end of the day, the truth is, if I have the connection that you have, I would absolutely capitalize on them in the exact same way that you have, continues to say Miss Elgin. Jillian Fuller, a 26-year-old administrative assistant in Chicago who recently started acting, admitted to wishing she had a famous uncle that she could call up for help. 
but she believes success ultimately boils down to talent. Quote, there are some nepotism children that are super talented, and it shouldn't matter who their grandfather is or their uncle or anything like that, says Miss Fuller, who cited Nicole Ritchie as her favorite. She also mentioned Rashida Jones and Kate Hudson. Quote, they have the chops for it, and I always appreciate that. Bianca, I feel that there are some hits and misses with this article. Uh, There are some aspects that I think are helpful for this conversation. For example, kind of towards the end middle, they're hitting on this idea that we all have connections that we capitalize off of or precisely to the article, they're saying, if I had the connections that you had, I would capitalize off of them. I want to use that particularly as a jumping off point for our conversation um, and let the art prop tarts in on that because what I feel is that the conversation around nepotism has been specifically centric to these celebrity relationships. I think that is a disservice to the conversation because Every human on the planet experiences some kind of privilege, but there are lots of us that experience nepotism in a lot of different professional and life situations, and that is not something that is limited to celebrity. And although the article hints on this, it still only analyzes the celebrity aspect. So, Bianca hit me with your thoughts. The key things that I picked up on that were a win for me are the quote, they are free to follow their creative pursuits in a way that most people are not. Mm -hmm. Then next, the spread of the phrase also communicates a certain disillusionment with Hollywood and a rejection of the idea that anyone can make it in creative industries. Creative industries being, I think, the key phrase for me. Yeah. Then the third part uh, for me was the comedian in New York saying she just asked nepotism babies to own up to it. I don't know that they have anything to own up to in terms of being born. (laughs) However, if you received a role because of that, I don't think there's any harm in shying away. Or maybe we'll dissect that. But I think what you were just saying to close out reading the article is that, uh, you know, if I had the connections you have, you know, I would use that too. And the fact of the matter is every single person does use a connection when they can. Yes, I, I definitely think in terms of a conversation on art pop talk, the idea of analyzing the kind of celebrity culture is interesting because typically that lends itself to creative fields. Um, you know, some of our favorite Nepo babies are singers, actors, and models. Um, so I do think that point of the article was definitely interesting because I think so often we do kind of face those stigmas or those luxuries of you know, making it as an artist, 
but also you go through the struggle and the stigma of being a starving artist before you get that. So if you're not a starving artist, then are you just a Nepo baby? Right. Like, right. Is, is there no middle ground? And I'm really struggling to decipher the, the issue that people are taking with Nepo babies because uh, you know, this quote, they're free to follow their creative pursuits in a way that most people aren't. That That's not an issue of the person being born into a certain family. That's the issue of the system and the people around them mm-hmm. and the culture. I don't think it's a problem that Maud Apatow gets to act in euphoria when she's been acting with her parents by her side since she was a young girl. I mean, we all saw both their kids and this is 40. Like it's just. Right. So, okay. So should I get into the misses and then we can. Yes, I think so. I think we're headed towards the misses because I think in this article, there should be more things that I agree with, but it feels like we we just missed the point. Now, the the interesting thing with me is that this article specifically isn't bringing up like cancel culture, and it, mm-hmm. it more so talks about this phenomenon of like, oh my gosh, I just found out, and I had no idea. It's this like it's the shock of it all that I think has. It's not the cancel culture of it all that has sparked this conversation which I, I just find that reaction very interesting and we're not following up on the reaction. And for me, the appropriate reaction should be, oh, that's just not information that I had before. And now I have that information. And instead of throwing a bitch fit about it, and I liked Maude Abtow before, I can still like her just because I found out that she had famous parents. I don't have to not like her just and be mad about that because now I have this information. Like, do you, that's what I mean when I'm like, this sounds like a you problem and you need to like go live with that feel like that thought and just sit with that thought. A hundred percent. So for my misses, uh, besides saying unborn child of Rihanna, <laughs> um, I have a huge issue with the author saying child of Rihanna and ASAP Rocky quote, a galactic nepotism legend already. Okay. When we found out Rihanna was pregnant, we fucking lost our goddamn minds. Uh, the, the, the excitement that pop culture at large had for this businesswoman, this singer, this amazing woman to produce more people. We wanted her, we wanted, we wanted a celebrity baby. Like I just not one person I met was like, mm, this is a real, this is a real bad I'm really uh, pissed news off that for this couple nepotism. decided to have a child. Like, Right. So then why are we prescribing and, and putting this nepotism just slap on top of a, a baby already? We have no fucking clue what this child is going to grow up to do. I mean, would it follow a trend if we saw this baby enter a creative field? Sure. It could be a business person like Rihanna. She's a businesswoman now, uh, you know, 
Sure, but this baby can also do anything it fucking wants. And I think society needs to take a real hard look in the mirror at what they ask of their celebrities. Because, oh my gosh, I can't wait for, you know, like you have later on, Jenna Northwest to you know, put out her first album or Willow Smith. When Willow Smith put out her first song. You ate that shit up, but you weren't yeah. mad about it because you like we all have this cultural understanding that she had famous parents. And the funny thing, and I will get into this, and I feel as though why Rihanna and Aesop Rocky are used and their child is used as an example is because it's it's a recent finding. It's a recent thing. Like their child was just born. People are just starting to figure out who Maud Apatow is, even though she has been a child actor, she has now entered the adult phase of her career and people are diving into that and they're mad about that shock. And it's for, it's really a coming of age thing because right. when they're children, it's like, oh, I'm very excited that Rihanna's going to have this baby. And then I, I too can look at another version of t- two people that I love and admire. I guess that's, if that's not fucking like, that's a, a very positive outlook on nepotism and I think reproduction at large. We get so excited at celebrity babies, but the minute they become their own person, it's like, mm. right. Mm. Right. But so, then the article does pinpoint off of the complexities of those feelings a little bit in terms of jealousy and I'm mad about it, but also I would be doing the same thing. I just think in terms of like a case study and the the thing about this article is that it feels so timely in terms of the celebrities it chooses to call out and who people have been calling out on the internet. And it is more up and coming recent celebrities who have entered, you know, the pop culture scene. And I just think it's it's interesting. And this is something that is not new because we can bring up Nepo babies of the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Exactly. And I want I want to get into that. My second miss, I mean, really the whole article overall is a big fat miss for me, but um this like the people, the author, the writers interviewing is just really odd to me. Um the woman from Arizona quote, it's like dynasties of famous families that have lasted generations. It's like, what have you not been paying attention to history? Like this is like this. I think that also what we are focused so much on Hollywood for this very strange reason that I fundamentally cannot understand. I mean, think about any famous monarchy as the beginning of the article points out Think about your own family. I mean, I was talking to Gianna about this and generational wealth is a form of nepotism. If you inherit things from your parents and your relatives and your family members, to me, that is a form of pro- privilege, which can be synonymous in, in the context that I think TikTok and this uh, phenomenon are using the word nepotism to me is synonymous with privilege because they're mad about the privilege that these children have from their families in Hollywood. Okay, well take a take a hard look in the mirror. I'm not saying that this is a circumstance for everyone any by any means. We know that general generational wealth is obviously often passed down by white people more than it is minorities and people of color. So 
I just am curious about why not, why not look at yourself? Or why are you not looking at the house you inherited, the things you got from a will, jewelry that's passed down? Is your engagement ring not a form of nepotism if you keep it in the, you know, just, you know, famous families that have lasted generations. Has your ring lasted generations? It's just the surprise of her comment. It's the fact that she says, it's like dynasties of famous families. Like, it's that shock. And I'm like, sister, where is this surprise coming from? Yes. It's, yes. it's and the shock of it all. When she talks about Margaret Qualley, this feeling of frustration, like you said, Gianna, I simply cannot understand. It's simply information that you didn't have before. And that's not, I, I don't find this as a reason to get frustrated. I mean, Annie McDowell is a legend in Hollywood, People can have children if they want to. You know, that's not my choice to make for anyone else. I also, yeah, and I, I think maybe it's also important for us to be critical and also fair. Like, there, there have been also, like, lots of famous people who have had children that choose, like, not to be in the public eye and have maybe, quote, normal jobs or normal lives. And that's fine. But I think, like... In terms of being born, like, into that wealth, into that, like, community of celebrity, it also would, I can't speak to how it would feel to, to work in, like, a quote, like, normal, what we think is, like, a normal work environment after living in this kind of world. It's just interesting. And it also, the way that I was thinking about this in just more tangible ways, I was thinking of, like, local communities my local arts community you know local like celebrities are just kind of like a funny thing right no matter what city or town you live in you have like newscasters and those are kind of your local celebrities the nepotism that those people experience within their careers in their local communities in whatever community like people have lots of people have public facing roles in business and in their communities. And it's not a conversation that needs to just be left up to like pop icons. I think that when you have this kind of nepotism, it it centers around a family. And I also don't think it's fair to, I don't think it's fair to ask children to step out of something that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. If they are genuinely interested in pursuing a similar career to their parents, which you and I did, we have a family that studied art and took us to art museums. And as we've talked about, you know, in the theater, painting, framing, construction, woodworking, like we came into a family of creatives and both you and I ended up pursuing creative fields similar creative fields but no one's going to be mad at us because our parents aren't famous i don't think it's fair to ask children not to pursue something that they're genuinely interested in i can't speak to any of these nepo babies quote unquote if they genuinely wanted to do this when they were born i don't know if it was a lifelong dream or if it's yeah something that just fell into their lap because they could you know 
But do but, we understand that that is just such like a societal, like structural, like talking about like disproportionate wealth is like goes beyond this conversation of Nepo babies. And connections, because it, it's not just wealth, it's the network. And Drew Barrymore, her godfather is Steven Spielberg. Drew Barrymore is from a line of very famous people in Hollywood. I also want us to be very uh, conscientious and we'll get we'll continue this kind of frame of reference later on about the connections that every single one of us uses every day. Networking is nepotism. Mm -hmm. You network and that is an act of nepotism because if you are working for a business, let's say your coworker leaves and can get you in when they leave into a new place as well. That's a form of nepotism. It's we do it every day. It's not a bad thing. Oh, it's just networking. Right. What are the positive and negative terms that we're using to contextualize our own feelings? Right. It's really interesting. I mean, like, particularly like for myself and my like current career outside of art pop talk, like I work in philanthropy. I mean, if you, I mean, it's very much about networking and building those connections, but we're not getting mad about it because it's philanthropy. There, there are lots of different ways people use their power for good, but it's also okay. I feel as though to use what you to use what in in our current system in the structure that we have to use the connections, the tools, and the people that want to build you up, so you can con- you can succeed, but also do the things that you want to do. Like, sure, you can use your your power for good and and do those things, but it's also okay to use those connections for yourself and live your life. If I do those things, which I do because I've experienced a recent great community with a bunch of mentors and I've been able to network with a bunch of people who I think want to see good things for me and want to help me get to where I would like to be. That is a form of of network and nepotism. And I, I think the, the funny thing about this article is that I don't mind this perspective of clearly they are just interviewing everyday people from, you know, around particularly the United States, just to give their two cents about this topic. But the people that they're interviewing are like, quote, normal people with normal jobs. They're talking to, you know, this person is a comedian, so she might be in, she's in a public facing role. But then this person also, you know, works in the healthcare system. Variety of perspectives, your average reader like probably works at a business where they experience networking and they're on LinkedIn and they are aware of how their industry works as well. So the, the exact definition of nepotism is the practice among those with power or influence of favoring relatives, friends, or associates, especially by giving them jobs. So yes, jobs in Hollywood are different because they're very public facing and you earn a ton of wealth and uh, fame because of it. So their job, their their work is going to work on a movie or on a set or in production or writing. That is their job. Them going to a movie set is going to work. But when you're you know, dad's friend 
gets you an internship for your first job, is that not the same thing? Yeah. Right. You are going to work and you are there because of a favor, because you were preferred because mm-hmm. of your connections. Right. It is the same thing. And I can think of a very clear example, like for myself, be- thinking of that like parental like network connection is the artist who I love and adore, who I, you know, have interned for in college and, you know, collaborate with on and off. I have that connection with him because he worked like 20 years ago with like our mom and had kept up with her. And then I decided to pursue a career in the arts. And my mom was like, oh, I know this artist. Maybe one day you can like go learn things from him. And I was able to get that connection with him because my mom had set up this this connection. And I could have probably, you know, maybe I wouldn't have known about him if it wasn't for the connection that my parent had with them. But it's a great thing that happened and it's been such a valuable relationship for me. And there's nothing to apologize for. I think that's also the other part of this is that I don't think people, people aren't like asking for apologies, but what they're, what they're also saying is like, yeah, just, just own it. But the funny part, but the funny part about this is, is none of, I don't feel like any of these celebrities that they've called out have been like, oh shit, now everyone knows I have famous parents. Like I was actually, that, that was information that I was trying to hide. Every single one of these celebrities I think has, has owned that. So like, it just doesn't, that's where the miss is. Right. I don't think many celebrities are hiding who their parents are. There, you know, some people like uh, Margaret Qualley, for example, have a different last name than her very famous mother. Is it? We also live in a gendered society, so I'm just making the assumption here that Qualley is probably her father's last name. So she wasn't intentionally trying to probably hide her last name it's the fact that society deemed it appropriate for her to take her father's name so that and you know obviously that's choice between the parents i don't know anything about the naming of margaret qualley but did you confront you know society's pressures about gender either i don't a lot of these celebrities are not hiding who their parents are the the example of mod apatow truly fucking baffles me i've known her last name is Apatow. Her her father is very famous. Like she does Jurgens commercials with her mother. I I truly like I can't tell you how not bothered I am by celebrities having children and them taking up a career. Again, that conversation if they don't want to do it, I you know, they certainly don't have to. It would be great if we allowed them to pursue other careers. But here we were going to Rihanna and be like, mm, when's your baby going to like, you know, put it out an album? Is your baby going to be featured on your album? It's like, so can yeah, you- I, I, I kind of want to go into that a, a, a little bit more because the, the funny thing about this article, again, is that we already talked about like these maybe newer or again, up and coming celebrities, and we are just finding out who their parents are. And so we're mad about that, right? But we're not mad about the celebrities that we already know about. Like, um, like Willow Smith was a great example, Bianca. Or, for example, you know, our case study a lot of times, which is the Kardashians. 
And I have some specific thoughts about Northwest in particular, I think from a branding perspective, because the Kardashians is, you know, that's definitely a branded name. I see that specific tactic, I think, happening within the next generation of Kardashian children. And I think already the adult consumption over Northwest and the content that she's allowed to kind of put out by her parents. But I think her parents, and probably more specifically Kim, I think is kind of, I think it's fair to say that she's conscientious about that. And I I kind of see, I see this next generation of Kardashians being built up, but I also see like who our main players are. And I see like North as being a main player, but we're not, upset about that because that's just all part of the branding and that is following in the steps of the Kardashian empire that Chris built and we applaud Chris. Chris has a master class on to teach <laughs> branding and how to brand yourself and we view that as being like strategic and that's so cool that she built built this empire but then do you get what I mean? It's just yeah. interesting. I don't, I'm not seeing this like common thread in terms of what we are choosing to be upset about and not upset I about. I know. It's truly like it's at random. I also wanted to bring up this idea that's kind of floating around in my head. Looking back at our STEM versus STEAM episode with Adrian Turner, the quote the author has, they're free to follow their creative pursuits in a way that most people are not. I think. There's also this idea that business nepotism is networking. It's that positive association. But in a creative role like Hollywood, acting is not an easy job. And I would never in my life assume that I can act on any level. That's that again, that is work. And I think it seems like we can just say, oh, they were born into this they can automatically do it. And, you know, in some senses, there are legacy families that are, you know, talent runs in the blood. And I I don't know how that happens, luck or Hollywood, or they're actually good at their job. When you grow up in a family on camera, working behind the scenes, you gain access to knowledge. You get to study, you get to watch people. That's something that's present every it's almost like a language when you grow up in the in this environment you become accustomed and you adapt to to that line of work i think and when acting is such a personal toll on the body and the way that i'm assuming those people have experienced life it to me it seems completely natural that their bodies and their minds would adapt to go into this creative role. But I think society's looking down on it like it's easy and anyone can do it when you have money. But it's it's like a language. Maybe that's what the the best way I'm I'm thinking of it. It's a learned thing that they have grown up. They started school at age zero. Mm-hmm. And it, it's creative, so uh, it's actually trash and easy and it doesn't matter. Right. Because but in the I medical field. I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. In the medical field. Oh, my my networking, my job references. That was really hard. It was really hard. I had to work my ass off. Well, right. you know, I'm not saying that there's no 
that, th that this is the case for every circumstance. I'm sure with the amount, the sheer amount of content that Hollywood and production companies, the streaming wars have to generate, I'm sure it's very easy for people to pick up, you know, so-and-so's kid and stick them in this movie. Addison Ray, I don't think she was great and he saw that, but it's Addison Ray and she's a TikTok star. So give her this role. I think that's, you know, they're 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 two separate issues for me. The the substance and who gets what role versus being good at it. So Bianca, just kind of like on a funny note, after reading this article, I just could not help thinking about Marvelous Miss Maisel and how there's this episode where they go to the Catskills and Susie is bunking with the staff and she's bunking with these girls and they're talking about how they are going to accomplish big things one day. And one of the like camp employees is talking and she's her example is that her dad is a producer, but she's not going to use his connections so that she knows that she made it on her own. And the joke is that Susie says, don't do that. That's stupid. Use that shit. <laughs> and or also like some of that stuff might not happen. And it's just the funny thing about it is that it is this reality check moment. And I, I like this example, although it's fictional, because you can you can do anything your way. And if that is the way in which you want to handle it, like not using your dad's connections outright, I also think we have to look at this aspect of not denying where you came from. And you can't just like, you, you can't choose your family. And like names have clout. And I think at the end of the day, like, you, we can't choose kind of what status or what families we are born into. 100%. So should we take a little, little breath, a little sip of water, take a little break and come back with some simmer down, yeah. some art centric yeah. nepotism. Yeah. I we're not it. going too far. We're, re we're really not spreading our wings very much <laughs> here. This next half. sorry if you thought that nepotism babies were a new and relevant conversation or discovery, but it is quite the opposite. Bianca, I'm so excited to talk about this portion of the episode because we will see who had access to art and the means of studying art. And I think there's going to be a lot of like gender, class, and wealth dynamics that are part of this more art historical conversation in terms of nepotism. Oh, most definitely. We're, we're getting into the gender of nepotism, which I think is, as we'll get into, just a, a more contextual uh, conversation. But 
you know, I just couldn't get straight into that. I had to just offer some name drops because that's just fun, you know, <laughs> like it. But when I think about Nepo Babies, like the other day, uh, um, Allison Williams was on the news and she was promoting Megan, which I'm going to go see this weekend. And I'm very excited to go see Megan because everyone is talking about it. Oh, really? I, oh, my God. Yeah. I like don't I don't know what to do with Megan. <laughs> I didn't either. When I first saw the trailer, I was like, ew. And then I was like, Allison Williams, like, what are you doing in this movie? But then everyone is like, no, it's actually a good movie. So Allison Williams on and whoever was interviewing her was like, oh, yes. And we're very good friends with your father, father, Brian Williams. And I was like, oh, my God, how about that? You know, I wasn't like. I just found out that Alfred Williams said Brian Williams. Like I just like it was like, like oh, that's, that's that's nice. That's exactly how I felt. Like I don't necessarily keep up with like who like the big like Hollywood maybe like producers are. Like I had no idea that Ben Platt's father was a producer. But I was just like, huh? Like I, I so I fundamentally cool. don't know what to do with like the reaction of people being like <laughs> so angry about that you you're not born into being able to sing well i just like you he has a gift it wasn't he didn't buy that well and it, and it like <laughs> there i think are it's less, a skill. there are lessons there are privilege there is studio equipment there is all the things that goes into it right. but i think at the end of the day you just also have a good voice <laughs> You know? I'm just what you know whatever yeah it's like we it's like we're talking in circles at this point but I'm just like fundamentally like not mad that Ben Platt's dad also, is the I producer just, like, I just like don't care about my pet either like yeah also okay, like dear cool. <laughs> evidence and wasn't really it for me but like but also, like, like years I did like the politician um oh yeah Oh, I have a I have a fun story about someone finding out about it. <laughs> Wait, tell please. I'm so sorry. Pause on art history. Let's go. Okay, because um, I think Sofia Coppola. I don't. Is she working on a new movie or something? She was in the news, and I was telling Andrew like, "Oh my gosh, Sofia Coppola." He was like, "Who's that?" I was like, "You know, director of Marie Antoinette." Uh, daughter of Francis Ford Coppola and he was like the wine guy (laughs) and I said yes and (laughs) the director of the godfather all these other things apocalypse now father of brilliant Sofia Coppola who I adore he's like he makes the wine (laughs) I was like what his Cabernet Sauvignon is delightful. That was I will Andrew. So is the Godfather. Boy of APG for shame. I love that he like has experienced like like the wine wine nepotism, but like he he knew like he knew that the director of the Godfather. I think in the back of his brain, he knew his As an name East Coast Francis Ford Italian, Coppola. he should really just be like ashamed. <laughs> like, true. <laughs> oh, oh, maybe it was that we just watched White Lotus. It was something, I, it was very recent. Maybe it was that we were watching the White Lotus and they were talking about the Godfather. I, I can't remember. But he he was not mad that, that Sophia Coppola's father was francis ford coppola the director he was like 
oh, the wine guy? Like, good for her. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I could go for I could go for some of that cab stop. That's it is Francis Ford. You make a good wine. What can we say? It, it, it's lovely. I I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I only buy what is it like the Nineteen Crimes wine with like Snoop Dogg on it, and now there's one with like Martha Stewart. <laughs> like that shit's hilarious. Oh my gosh! So a form of nepotism. You're talking about all the um you know, celebrities who just slap their name on tequila and alcohol and wine. Okay, so going to art history. So uh, we'll link this article for you guys, but uh, it's an art news article that just has this massive list of art history Nepo babies. But what I really liked about the list, obviously I'm not going to read the whole thing, is that it kind of breaks it down in terms of art dealers, museum directors, um, auctioneers, like auction house people and artists. Like there's a whole suite of people in the art world who many of you very well know benefit from nepotism or are Nepo babies. And I just thought that was really interesting that art news broke it down in that way. It's not just, oh, artists and celebrities and filmmakers. It's it's the people behind the scenes. And that's exactly what I want to see. So mm-hmm. um starting with this one, was actually in the dealer's section. Henri Matisse, his son Pierre, was an art dealer and founder of a gallery in New York. Camille Pizarro, the Impressionist painter, his son Joachim, was an art historian, curator, and professor at Hunter College. Oh, he was the grandson of Camille. And then the great-grandson of Camille Pizarro, um Lionel was an art dealer as well. Laszlo Maholi Naj, the Hungarian artist, Bauhaus school professor. Uh, his grandson was the director of Art Cologne. Um, then <laughs> we have the Wyeths. Just all of the Wyeths. NC Wyeth, American Painter, Andrew, Jamie, you know, that, there's a bunch of them. That was the first thing you and I like it was like we just looked at each other and we were like Wyeth, <laughs> like oh, Wyeth, <laughs> like. <laughs> um, and then the last one I'll read again. We'll link that list. It's just you know it's fun to name drop all we want, and it's nice to learn new things. I'm like oh this is this is nice. Like this is interesting. Um, one of my favorite examples of an art history nepo baby is um Pierre Auguste Renoir, the impressionist painter. His son, Jean Renoir, was a French filmmaker and the director of The Rules of the Game. And that's from 1939. And The Rules of the Game is always on the top list of one of the best movies ever made. Like it always makes like, you know, top five movies ever made. It's just, it's a a phenomenal movie. It's really wonderful. Uh, If you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch Rules of the Game. But I remember I was taking my international film class and I was in school and Jean Renoir, you know, we're watching this movie and then I'm looking him up, like doing research. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, you know, the artist's son. Great. Moving on. You know, so it, it just, I, I love that example. It's just, I, I also love French film and it, I just, it, it just makes me happy. It doesn't make me mad. I can't understand why people are getting mad about it. It's like more art. More things for me to enjoy, more people working. Great. <laughs> you know, not always the case, 
but in this case, uh, it is. So, uh, moving on. Gianna <laughs> made a really interesting comment in our uh, prep work document, and I'm just going to read what she typed because we are kind of working through some ideas, and she said, I'm not sure if this would be helpful just to talk about the quote-unquote self-made artists as well, or maybe deconstructing the idea of the self-made artist just as we kind of deconstructed the male genius. And instead of kind of continuing to dig up examples of artists that had children and went on to be artists or art dealers or whatever, I think that what she wrote here provides more a more nuanced discussion in terms of why we feel unsatisfied with the name dropping trend that Nepo Babies has sort of, you know, these discoveries just fall into a, a trap where they, they don't go anywhere. It's just, it's just a fact and it, it's kind of stops there. So I'm going to take a minute to quote my own work here and, uh, you know, why not use my own research to talk about myself on this episode? It just feels very fitting. <laughs> so when I was working nepotism. on my, <laughs> nepotism. Um, when I was working on my thesis, I was thinking about these ideas of workplace, and we've talked about it before, but how uh, men and male artists are often given different privileges that women aren't, especially when it comes to uh, their studio space, when it comes to the workplace. I was also thinking about who was able to work in certain studios, who was able to work on certain projects. So I'm just going to read a little excerpt from that. Um, we've talked about unpaid labor a lot on this podcast, so it kind of falls into that as well. Institutions exploitation of unpaid labor is a problem that concerns many young professionals entering the field. <clears throat> Myself included. As many artist studios, galleries, and museums rely on the full-time work of college educated unpaid interns. In a 2017 article titled, Can Only Rich Kids Afford to Work in the Art World?, writer Anna Louise Sussman highlights the largely invisible role of class in the art world and points to some challenges in bringing economic diversity into a liberal-leaning industry that values humanism and resourcefulness. According to a New York Times article from the same year by Kuo Trung Vu, Quote, about 40% of 22 to 24-year-olds receive some financial assistance from their parents for living expenses. 40% of people 22 to 24 receive funds from their parents. I just want, like, across the board, not in Hollywood, everywhere. Among young people who aspire to have a career in art and design, 53% get rent money from their parents. Young people who live in urban centers are more likely to have their parents pay the help of rent. Nepotism drives the art world in so many different ways. And I know that is probably just something so obvious to many of you listening. I just think, again, it's it's been that piece that's missing from the larger conversation about Nepo babies. And I think, Gianna, you and I are kind of swinging back and forth of opposite ends of the spectrum like like this is fine people are allowed to have children they can do what they want those people can enter the the careers that they want but on the other hand we're living in this system that continuously allows for that to happen and that's a problem again of generational wealth white privilege race class gender sexuality like there are all these other things tied into it besides just who your parents are. 
I also wanted to talk about this story, um, kind of leaning into the, the studio aspect a little bit. I remember when I was at the Uffizi and I, um, was looking at this Verrocchio painting. It's very famous, you know, the baptism of Christ from 1475. And I remember looking at the label and the label read that the painting was by Leonardo da Vinci. And I had just, you know, studied this in my class and was very excited to go see it, but I knew that it wasn't only Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci worked on this painting with his master, Verrocchio. And I was thinking about this idea of nepotism in the arts as an industry, not as something that happens to always to blood relatives like with this can only rich kids work in the art world well yes that's that's privilege from your families but also from your connections like if your family is wealthy and has connections to a dealer a curator a director you're more likely to get access to those roles and then this this painting i remember thinking it's just i mean the Uffizi obviously knows more than i do about the piece but i just thought it was so odd that the name Leonardo da Vinci held more weight and then even being bothered to list Verrocchio's name as his master uh it, it's like oh Leonardo's become so famous that we want to show like that this is his he's you know he stood alone in this the idea of the male genius well these these two people work together in fact on this painting and it wasn't one person alone it was Leonardo learning from his master, Verrocchio. Culture Quota, <laughs> a few days ago now, Gianna, posted this fucking hilarious uh, meme where <laughs> she put Artemisia Ganeleschi's face on Hailey Bieber's body with this, you know, the meme that's going on, Hailey Bieber wearing the Nepo Baby t-shirt. And I thought this was a good cross-section for us to go a little deeper, uh, decipher a little bit more. Later on in my thesis, I was um, talking about, you know, nepotism and um, women artists not being given the same uh, studio forgiveness, like I said, that men got, obviously not having uh, being afforded the same privileges. So, of course, can't write anything in art history without acknowledging Linda Nochlin's publication on great women artists and how she writes that in order to go beyond simply digging up examples of worthy or insufficiently appreciated women artists throughout history, she explores the institutional and educational barriers that have conventionally prevented women from achieving greatness as artists. For example, in a discussion of the nude as an essential component to artistic studies and training, she says that women were not given the chance to be great as they were not allowed into art academias where nude subjects would have been studied and created by many male artists. And for the rare exceptions of women who did in fact achieve the statue of greatness, such as Artemisia Janileschi, I always say her name in different ways, they were often trained by their artistic fathers or given opportunities by men. So we know that Artemisia's father was a prominent artist. So Artemisia is in fact a Nepo baby. But do we forgive and forget that fact because she wasn't allowed to enter artistic spaces that men were? 
So, you know, for Gianna's Miss Maisel quote, Susie's saying, don't do that. That's stupid. Like, don't be an artist. Use your father to learn. Artemisia used that shit and she used to become more famous than her father. So Leonardo became more famous than Brocchio. And arguably the, the, she's the most famous woman and, uh, you know, famous Renaissance painter in the Western world. So I'm just curious as where is the point at which we forgive Nepo babies for being Nepo babies? What's the point at which we forgive artists for learning from other people? I know, I know, I know. It's the trailblazer of it all. It's like we can't get mad at her because like we use her as this like feminist reference and icon, which like I think that she is in her own right, but like she gets this pass because she's the first. And so like now when other But she's not the first, <clears throat> she's just the first uh, quote unquote that people know about. Right. They know about her. Right. But it's like she's an icon. She's a legend. Right. But like we're just gonna be mad at Haley Bieber. Because I'm really mad at Maude Apatow for training under her Judd Apatow, who? <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> I mean, it's is it not education? Is it not a form of school? Like and in Hollywood, who? <laughs> lest we not forget, yes, Maude Apatow is becoming very successful. We are talking about Maude Apatow way too so much. I can't believe that this is like <laughs> the the loaning. Maude Apatow like, stands on ABT. Yeah. <laughs> um like we can't forget that Hollywood and the world at large is still a very white male centric space. There are spaces in Hollywood that women have not been allowed into. There are rooms they weren't allowed to be in. There are work behind the scenes that they weren't always hired to do. And they're still not. Those spaces are still dominated by a certain type of people. Deci those decisions are made by a certain type of people. And why did we let Artemisia and so many women painters, why did we say this is amazing what they did? But in our current context, <laughs> Maude Apatow can suck it because <laughs> she was born from Leslie Mann and Judd Apatow. Well, Bianca, now that you've like, you know, shattered the ceiling, now that like we know this about Artemisia, like people, I mean, like get ready. I mean, like people are going to be mad about it. Clearly, it's just going to follow the... The trend, the shock of it all. You've shocked us. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm very frustrated to learn that Artemisia <laughs> learned from her father, God forbid. Get ready for like my cancel culture Twitter post. Oh my God, that's oh my so God. funny. I don't ever get on cancel our Twitter, <laughs> but like we should really do that. Like add to like the noise on our, on our Twitter. Like, did, did you, you hear? Did you? I had, I had no idea. <laughs> do you think Culture Coda would do a collab with us and we could get like cancel Artemisia merch? Uh. <laughs> because they have so <clears throat> much. Also, remember, shop at Culture Coda. They have so much good Artemisia merch. Well, I, you know, I know that wasn't a super just in depth list of people from art history. I just think it's. I, I just want the conversation to go there, you know, in, in the broader sphere. Because there was also, Gianna, um, in comparison to your New York Times article, there's also a New York Magazine article that kind of just was this 
huge list of all these Nepo babies of Hollywood that came out as well. And it's kind of like an organization chart of, you know, how to keep track and who's who and all this <laughs> stuff. keep track. So this is crazy. No, truly, it's unbelievable. Like, IMDb. Like, I'm on IMDb every time I watch a fucking movie. Like, how, it's just like, this is common knowledge to me and I, I just don't get it. But nevertheless, um, I think that we're going with this very, like, front-facing New York Times, TikTok, New York Magazine, just like list of stuff. I hope that the the later half of this conversation, you know, using Artemisia as a you know a very classic example, but just adds to like where we can take this conversation. Because I'm fine with having the conversation. I'm fine with you know taking critical critical look at things. That we should always be doing that. But where is it going from there? And and how are we using that? to to progress things not to get mad at people working mm. and and people and working take, in... look in the mirror look at your own industry you know yeah obviously gian and i know and many of you know that <laughs> this is what has happened in the arts for all of time but again look look at yourself like how did you get to where you are it, you know a lot of people work extremely hard and don't have any privileges, any connections, any network, but a lot of us do. And it's okay, but don't, don't be a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and again, I think that was our objective with this episode was to broaden the perspective on something that is doing a deep dive on a creative field. But as we always do take a look at how that transcends past the arts and how we are not the exception. Like we are also just like a lot of other um, careers and fields. And, um, you know, and that's all I have to say about that. Can't put baby in a corner. (laughs) I can't put me in a box. (laughs) Can't put Artemisia in a corner. Mm -hmm. Well, I, um, I think we... I've talked way too much. We've talked I've way talked too way much too about Mod I think we're done. <laughs> yeah, I think now my brain is... That, now I've emptied my brain of all the thoughts that I've wanted to talk with you about. Because also, Bianca yes. and I, like, save things sometimes. Because we're like, don't tell me, don't tell me. Like, save it for the episode. And so now <laughs> there's just, like, absolutely nothing left in my brain right now. <laughs> Truly. I mean, honestly, I feel good. I feel like I've I've purged. Yeah. And <laughs> well, I'm so glad to be back um, in the new year. I hope that you all missed us dearly. We missed you dearly. And now that we are back, make sure that you are keeping up with our resources and our postings on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. And with that, we will talk to you all in two Tuesdays. Bye, everyone. Bye. Art Pop Talk's executive producers are me, Bianca Martucci-Fink. And me, Gianna Martucci-Fink. Music and sounds are by Josh Turner, and photography is by Adrian Turner. And our graphic designer is Sid Hammond. 